name's Liana Berry and you're listening to Art Muse Podcast, a podcast about the intersections between art, healing and creativity. Welcome back to Art Muse Podcast. If you've ever been interested in words as art or how to live a creative life and a health or science-based career at the same time, then this podcast is for you. It's an interview with the New Zealand poet, educator and doctor, Loredana Poloska-Kint. She's also a children's book author and a TED speaker. Loredana's poetry fuses old technique with fresh energy and contemplates our relationship and experiences with nature, as well as our health and medical experiences. There's so much to say and so much ahead for Loredana's poetry, but I'll let her fill you in. Her TEDx talk and her website can be found in the show description. I hope you enjoy the interview. Good morning. Welcome to Art Muse Podcast, Loredana. How are you today? Very good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's very exciting. It is. I'm really excited to have you on. It has taken a bit a bit of time for us to match up our schedules, particularly because you're in New Zealand and I'm in Australia. But I'm so excited to have you on today because for multiple reasons. Um, we've obviously had a few exchanges on Instagram and I haven't actually met you before, but also because of what we're going to be talking about. You are a poet and poetry is something I'm obviously acutely aware of and thoroughly enjoy, but I know very little about. So I'm really looking forward to our chat this morning. Me too. I thought a great place to, for us to start is maybe a, your why and how you got into poetry or just anything about that journey and anything you'd like to share with people about who you are and your creative identity. Yeah, okay. So I do get asked quite a lot about why poetry and, and why it's such a big deal for me, especially since it's not what I do full time. Uh, and funnily enough, it wasn't an intentional choice of of craft, I tried a lot of different arts when I was younger and I just accidentally ended up becoming a poet because I wrote a poem at whim once when I was about 12 years old and really enjoyed it and I got a lot of good feedback from it, positive feedback from teachers around me and I realized this is something I actually really enjoy and something that just feels quite natural to do. So I just kept writing it and before I knew it I was writing in all of my spare time and I just carried it through and until it became what it is for me today so it was it was a, a very happy accident. I love hearing about how people start because it is often like these small moments somewhere in our history that become bigger and grow over time so it's incredible that you have been writing poetry since you were quite young then it's sort of journeyed through your life with you so far which must be a really nice accompaniment I was like, oh, when in the podcast shall I say what you do for a day job? But I think we probably mentioned it quite early because I think the contrast for a lot of people is really interesting. So I I have quite a medical family, like my family are nurses, and um, I sort of have like an insight that medical professionals are people and have like lots of creative, interesting hobbies. But for a lot of people, I think they will they do get quite surprised when they learn about doctors and nurses that also have like these other identities, I guess, and these other interests and sometimes professions and yeah, dualities in their life. So you I've recently finished your like your last bit of qualifying to be a doctor, haven't you? Yes. Yes, I have. And so I've started working full time as a doctor, which has been quite the transition. Uh, poetry has had to take a back seat for a little while, unfortunately, uh, as it had to at a, a few periods during my medical studies as well, because obviously it was it's quite a full on course of study. But it's very exciting to finally be a doctor. And I agree with you, people do often get surprised when they find out that uh, doctors or medical professionals have, have hobbies at all, uh, let alone have creative hobbies. But once you start asking, you'd be really surprised what proportion of medical students or doctors do uh, play musical instruments or do woodworking in their spare time or do a bit of writing. You know, there's, there's quite a few New Zealand junior doctors who have published books in the last few years that have done really well. And so the creative arts are definitely quite prevalent in our, in our profession and maybe people use that as a, uh, a form of relaxing, de-stressing, having a total change from what they do in their day job. That's definitely the way I 
have approached it, I guess. Uh, even though poetry came first for me and I carried it through, but it has evolved during my time studying into something that coexists with medicine and sometimes overlaps and incorporates medicine into it a lot more than I ever would have expected. So it's a very in uh, interesting duality to have in in my life, the, the medicine and science, which you would think would be incompatible with poetry, but is actually really, really compatible. It's interesting to hear like your experience that so many medical professionals do lean into creativity and creative modalities. And I wonder if that is, you know, obviously just being human. I think we all have these like ability to be creative, but I wonder if the necessity and the need for it increases because of the work that you do like you're working around people that are in pain that are sick that are dying you see um obviously you know healing as well and you see some people you know depending on what field you work in you can see beautiful things like significant recovery or babies being born and things but a large part of the work carry the emotional impact of that and the consequences of that of a human walking with other people through their suffering i'm not surprised that a lot of people find themselves um, embarking in creative outlets whether that's like consciously or just subconsciously like a, as a release perhaps or a way to just make sense of yeah that element of being human and being around the medical profession and all of that it all that it is just from a human to human level but then you've got all the stress um and like the demand of like working in hospital institutions I don't know what it's like in New Zealand but in Australia the system is under a lot of stress mm -hmm. And so I think the arts should be really encouraged for medical professionals as a way for the, and there should be lots of programs to help people get exposed to like what it can offer and to support like staff in yeah managing their job I guess. Yes yeah I definitely use poetry as a way of reflecting and unpacking on things that have happened during my day or that happened at some point in the past. Uh, it's become a very large portion of the the topics that my poetry focuses on and I find that that has almost become almost like journaling for me. I use it to document, to capture those moments and it really makes a difference for me. And in fact, we are encouraged in medical school to pursue creative or to try creative outlets. And for that reason, and people do dabble in it in medical school, which I think is really positive, but I think it could be encouraged even more than, than it is. And it was interesting when we started our full-time full work as doctors uh, my, with my graduating class of, of junior doctors, so many people did say that they were going to use this year as a time to reconnect with hobbies that had fallen to the wayside during their studies, uh, whether they were creative or sports or dance groups or things like that. And so I think, although it was encouraged during our studies, something about the logistics made it, it hard for some people to connect with it as much as, as they maybe would have hoped to and, and myself included. So I think I've seen how poetry has helped me get through my medical studies and I want to continue using it to help me get through all those all those stories that I've been seeing in at work that, that you mentioned, all those those tragic stories, those positive stories and keeping poetry as that tool for myself that I use for un unpacking those. I think is going to be the best way for me to continue having that balance in my life. Oh, I look forward to seeing what you create in the future to come. And I had noticed that you have quite a few different projects, which I will try not to. I think I'm ending up doing my interview in reverse with you. I like had a little list of questions and some of these questions I thought, oh, we'll talk about a bit later in the conversation. And then I'm like jumping straight <laughs> into them. But yeah, is that something you had to train yourself to shift the way that you were using your poetry then? Because I think when we sometimes start creative modalities when we're young we do it from like a very pleasurable I don't know it can change like you said it evolves with you when you've lived with a way of expressing yourself for a long time it does change with you and sometimes that's really organic and sometimes we have to sort of sit back or take breaks and come back to it and go okay what can this actually do for me and am I going to intentionally adjust the way that I'm working so that it meets my needs do you feel like you have like intentionally looked at your poetry practice and gone how is this going to work in with it's been a bit of both, to be honest. So my poetry started out when I was younger. It was very descriptive. It was very nature-themed, nature-based. And it was very much influenced by the, the beautiful natural environment here in, in New Zealand, I think. And by the types of poetry I had been reading growing up, I read a, sort of a lot of old poetry, what I'd call um, sort of 
the classical poetry and the romantic poets especially and so that definitely colored the way I wrote and I I think at the time you know I thought I was full of wisdom of course as as does every young aspiring author but really there was a lot that I was just repeating or parroting from poems I had read myself, sort of themes that I was parroting. All my poems were purely descriptive and I just wrote them for the beauty of it, for the, the fun of playing with words and just because I felt like it really. Uh, then when I went into my studies, I guess you can break down medical school into two phases, one phase in which you are mostly theory based and you're learning from lectures and one phase in which you're on placements in hospitals. And I think in that first theory based phase of medical school, I quite intentionally started to bring medicine into my writing because it felt like the, the obvious thing to do. And of course, we were being encouraged by our mentors and our teachers to try doing this sort of thing as a way of, you know, unpacking and reflecting and, and all of that. And so I did it, but quite intentionally. Uh, sometimes some little sort of medical metaphor would sneak its way into something else that I was writing and I, I would notice it later and go, oh, that, that works quite well. I didn't realize I was doing that. But I would also write sometimes these medically themed poems for assignments or as part of assignments. Uh, so it was quite intentional. And then we went into that second, more recent phase of doing our medical studies while on the wards, on, on placements. And that was when medicine started to organically creep into my poetry without me realizing it. I really started to use poetry for reflecting in the way that I, I suppose the teachers had intended, but maybe they had intended it too early for, for me for it to really work for me. So I would just start to, you know, I, I would come home and I would have experienced something in the hospital and I wanted to unpack that. And I just start, I would sit down and start writing. Well, sometimes I would write something in the hospital uh, as well. In, in between things, I would scribble something down, some thought or some metaphor that I felt really captured what had just happened or what a patient had just said to me or what I had heard someone say to a patient. But without realizing it, the amount of medically themed poetry output I was producing just skyrocketed and it became the dominant theme of most of my poetry. Although I still write a lot of nature themed poetry, which I would argue that my nature themed or my non-medical themed poetry has also become a lot deeper, partially because I've just experienced life more and also read more widely. My writing has just become more diverse and more deep and it is more founded on my own experiences, which is of course the way it, it should be in the end. It's, it feels more unique to me now that I'm writing it at a slightly older age. So it's interesting. It was intentional and then it became unintentional that, that science and medicine came into my poetry and now I think they're quite inseparable I would say they're like Venn diagrams you know with it with an overlap mm -hmm. quite a big overlap oh yeah that's a really nice visual actually I love Venn diagrams because it's like it's always the bit in the middle isn't it <laughs> like, it is it always, is always. Right? that's the interesting bit the overlap in the middle yeah and it's so interesting like sometimes when you've like been practicing something for a long time you do have that a little bit of alarm like you know, I think most of us can be kind to ourselves, but you have that little bit of alarm of looking back and going, oh gosh, that, you know, that crushing naivety of like the enthusiasm. But like you said, you just haven't had that depth of experience. And sometimes with the hindsight, you can see, you know, like you said, how you've parroted or like you've sort of mirrored things that were influencing you. And at the time you probably felt like you're doing something completely original. Yes. Um, but that's just the pathway to, you can't skip over that. That's just the pathway to kind of learning and growing. But it is a sweet spot when you get to that place where you're like, I don't know, you just find a bit of a groove because like you said, with a little bit of age and experience, you just feel like you know yourself a little bit more and you can just, I don't know, really immerse yourself in your craft a bit because you have a bit of experience with like the skill of it, like the actual building of it um, and how to put things together. But then you have that little bit of extra perspective and experience and subject matter to delve into. Yeah. And it's interesting, like you said, that sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it just expresses itself. Anyway, I find your work really, really interesting. So I love your nature stuff as well. I think there's a poem. I don't know if that's what it's called. It's like autumn. It was about autumn. I should have, I was like, I must write it down because it's my favorite one. And that was, yeah, so beautiful. But then I find your poetry that is like in the medical theme, for want of a better description, just so fascinating. Like I don't know much about poetry. So is there like a structure or a type of poetry that you stick with? So I'm going to sound really 
stupid probably but you know when most people's exposure is when they're at school and they're kind of like this is how you write this type of poem you have two lines doing this and three lines doing this this many words must rhyme with this many and it must only be like 10 lines long if that's your only exposure to poetry is that you think of it as like a really structured format but then as an adult you come across like poetry and written word and language in obviously a much more expansive way and you you might see someone at a local bar like doing a poetry night or you read something in a book or you you know even see something on the television I think I saw someone doing a spoken word thing on the television one night she was super captivating I don't know who it was because it was sort of just the end of it and I just thought like there's a whole other world that I need to immerse myself in and, and increase my knowledge in but I do know that some people will still do work in structured format so do you is there like a style of poetry I guess but I'd love to just hear a bit more about the technical side of no I love that question I love all the things you raised in the question and I, I will start by saying that my understanding of what poetry can be has evolved or expanded so much since leaving school and like yourself interacting with poetry in so many different environments and seeing just what other people can do with their poetry and I find it really fascinating and something it's something I like to unpack with school students who I meet who I tell about my poetry because um, sometimes I, I visit schools I talk to younger people about poetry and it's interesting most of them have also been introduced to poetry in that same very structured way and it's interesting that we all seem to catch that same idea of poetry and it works for some people and for some it doesn't and it puts them off poetry, which is something I could come back to later. But uh, although, like I said, my understanding of the expansiveness of poetry as a creative art form has grown, my own poetry is actually still quite structured and again, has been called, I guess, old fashioned by some or, or is still in very much a lot of the time in the style of the the more classical poets and the largest reason for that is probably just the influence of what I read when I was younger and I read a lot of poetry for the fun of it um, of my own free will which I think always helps when you're if you're interacting with an art form because you enjoy it you will gain so much more from it and so I believe that that all of that reading influence what I write and I do try to consciously these days read poetry of other genres which has also helped uh, encourage me to experiment with mine. And I find uh, social media uh, such as Instagram poetry pages is a great way to be to expose yourself to those different styles of poetry. Uh, but still, as I said, although I experiment a little bit, my poetry does almost always rhyme. I use quite a lot of meter uh, and metric in my poems. Syllable counting comes automatically to me almost, and I think it comes from also having a bit of a musical background I think the music in lines comes naturally to me and I know when I know exactly how many syllables I need for a missing word uh, I know exactly when I found the word that will fit in there so I put a lot of thought into those things and, and a lot of the time rhyme happens automatically for me as well a lot of the time I'll start scribbling something down it'll be just an idea and in what a lot of people would, would refer to as maybe a flow of ideas or free verse, but it'll end up rhyming just of its own accord. And usually it's something simple like A-B-A-B, -A -B, uh, or A-A-B-B, -A -B -B, uh, and then I just go, oh, well, that's working for this particular poem, I'll continue with that. Sometimes I try to intentionally switch it up and try to be a bit mathematical with my rhymes, or let's see, I, I do dabble in strict forms of poetry as well, such as sonnets, and I really enjoy the creative constraints that it gives me, and the I get to play around with that form so I really enjoy doing that and some people some some poets really dislike that they they dislike those rules and they love doing their own thing and I still quite enjoy those rules the way I view writing poetry is that you it helps to know the rules so that you can break them or bend them and so I might take because I've experimented with I've written a few songs I've written a few ballads and a few terpsoremas and other various um, official poetry forms as I would term them. I then have taken little elements from those and snuck them into my own poems. For instance, in a sonnet you've got this idea of a volta, which is the, the turning point, which usually happens either in the final two lines or the final four lines of, of the sonnet. And that idea, which I remember reading about when I was re trying to research how to write a sonnet, the idea of a volta or a turning point has stuck with me in a lot of my poetry. And in a lot of my poems, if I look back, even if it was unintentional, I will notice that the turning point has been in the last two lines of the poem. 
and I think it's just crept in there from that other form. So maybe maybe this is unusual for a lot of sort of uh, younger generation poets, but I do still have a lot of that structure, and I think it adds to my poems. And I wonder even if if having a science background or a medical background contributes to that too, and that what we do and what I do in my work has things have to be structured and organized and ordered. My study was always organized and laid out well on pages and laying out my study notes well on a page, perhaps even contributed to wanting to lay out my poetry tidily on a page and keep it organized and easy to follow. I, I wonder, it would be interesting to, to look back and reflect on that a little bit more now that I think about it. And just that method, I guess, like when you think about like solving medical problems, like it's that idea of starting with the most likely or the most obvious and then working your way away from that. So, okay, well, that's not going, that doesn't fit the picture completely. So what else could it be? And you kind of like work your way backwards. So although it's not like the same thing, it's like you're not breaking rules as such, but you're starting with a foundation of knowledge and then you're deviating from that and adding to it with what you see in front of you and to try and like, I guess, come up with an equation at the end. So it's like a similar thing. You're starting with a foundation of, you know, traditional poetry structure or some form and then like you said you're tweaking that and pulling that out and changing it out and like being attuned to what's needed really interesting to hear obviously that all the different types of poetry which I think people are familiar with some of those more common words like sonnet and ballad but there is actually like so many different types by the sound of it and yeah it's, a, it's an ongoing debate in the creative world generally I think if you speak to people that work as musicians or as painters it's this concept of like should people be trained what's the word not traditionally maybe traditionally I don't know if that's the word but like should you be trained a certain way and then break the rules from there so there's that kind of like contemporary versus traditional training some musicians are like you know do you need to learn to like read and write music and then and then write your own music or as a painter like do you need to go and learn from all the old masters and learn all the traditional styles of oil painting and then decide if you want to go contemporary like move on from there and it's an ongoing debate because you'll meet people that are fierce about both sides some people are like no you need to have that foundation to then adds a depth and then it allows you to break the rules and decide what to keep and what to discard but then other people are like, oh, no way. It's just wasting energy and time. You can just come at it from a completely fresh entry point and you don't need it. And you absolutely don't need it as in both of those groups of people make beautiful art. They do. Yeah, it's just an interesting conversation. And I think it's lovely to keep some of the history alive personally. Because yes. although I wouldn't, they would never have the perception that people have to be classically trained or traditionally trained in any way I think it's sad if it's not approached at all because it just ends up dying out and there's such a loss you have a blind spot if you don't know what you don't know and it sounds like all of those more traditional such styles of writing poetry have so much to offer even like you said just that having that concept of a turning point and the pacing and the rhythm that comes with a lot of styles of writing and structures. Yeah, it really depends on the person, I think. And I think we can stand to benefit from trying, putting ourselves in that space that we feel uncomfortable. And so if for, for me, putting myself in a space of trying to not rhyme and trying to not follow structure makes me uncomfortable, but it helps me gain things. And I, I wonder if people who feel the other other way they feel so about structured poetry maybe if they really sat down and, and challenged themselves to really give it a try, they might also gain something or find it a refreshing experience hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good reminder actually, like just to be open-minded to both and to just probably make yourself uncomfortable sometimes because either way, yeah, you can become too comfortable. And I'm very much like that. Like I painted in oils for a really long time and then I took a break from painting. And then like my sort of life situation meant I couldn't just have oil paints all out all the time. So then I started painting with watercolor and gouache and that was like the best thing I ever did. And I'm like, oh gosh. I must remind myself to be more open-minded because it was just that self-imposed comfort of like, this is what I do and this is how I do it. And it was actually just sitting down and um, doing something a bit different that like you can just open up a whole other adventure inside your work. Exactly. I feel like uh, you're going to be incredible in this interview, but I'm going to be a little bit clunky because I'm so unfamiliar with the modality, but just so excited to have you on because I think people are going to find it really interesting. Not many people get to say they meet poets. <laughs> um, it is such an, an, an old modality of creative expression and everyone recognises what poetry is and 
what did I say when I wrote a question for you? I was like, I think I said it's well, well recognized, but not well known. That's like just very much what I feel like it has this mystical quality to it, which is kind of like doctors. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, <laughs> um, everyone knows what a doctor is, but unless you've studied, it's like, it's, it has this layer of mystical, <laughs> um, Okay, well, maybe we should go back a little bit to some of the projects you've got on the go at the moment. I would love to hear about any of them, I guess. I I guess what I've seen on social media, I know that you've been busy and I've seen mentioned a few times, is it the Poetical Lobe? Yes, the Poetical Lobe. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's a really interesting project. I would love to tell you about that. I think that's probably the most fitting project to focus on today because it is the best example of combining poetry and medicine that I have currently. And uh, it started off uh, as a crazy idea one day uh, and has just become this, this huge project that I'm really passionate about. So what I have done, uh, I've always been quite interested or fascinated by the brain and neurological conditions and, and how those uh, impact people, patients, uh, their families, their communities, they are quite common medical conditions that you encounter in the medical field. And they and the brain is just so beautiful and inspiring. And it's something that we use, obviously, as creatives as well. So hence why I'm so interested in the brain. I use my brain for poetry. So it's my most precious asset. Uh, so I find the brain fascinating and I find brain research very fascinating and I've been very fortunate that uh, in attending university I've been able to uh, interact and meet a lot of brain researchers at the Centre for Brain Research which is the national brain research uh, organisation in New Zealand and I've been just very inspired by the work that I've seen being done and uh, although I myself have not really played much of a part in it, aside from a very small um, sort of assisting a very, very, very minor role in, in one project. I've not really been part of that, but I've wanted to support what they are doing, what these very, very smart people are doing that I have met and seen around me. So coupling that love of and fascination with the brain, uh, along with some some sort of personal motivations to want to help in brain research as well, uh, relating to, to uh, family members I've known with brain conditions as well, and coupling that with poetry and how I've seen poetry working for me as a way of expressing uh, difficult situations and things that I've wanted to work through. And I thought to myself, uh, well, there must be so many people out there who have stories to tell about the brain, about conditions that they have or that loved ones of theirs have, or there must be other doctors who have written poems about the brain or health professionals. Wouldn't it be great if A, I encouraged those people to write those stories in poetry form so that they could experience poetry, maybe it would become something that they could use in the future. Uh, that would be fantastic. And then wouldn't it be wonderful if I could collate all of those into a single book a single resource which would would serve as as a way of advocating for these these tales and these stories to a much wider audience it would be such a unique way to share those stories and hopefully capture the public ear or eye in a in a very different way and show people all those different perspectives on what it's like to live with a brain condition because we all know someone who's had a stroke we all know someone with parkinson's and, and so on um but to really learn through those different lenses would be fantastic and then i think my third i've, I've lost count of how many motives i have said so so far but the other motive was that what if this this book or this project also fundraised for brain research so so at the end of the day what the project is which i have come around to in a very roundabout way is I've gotten people from around New Zealand around around the country to send in poetry about the brain and I'm collating all those into a book and when the book is launched and published 100% of the proceeds or royalties will go to the Center for Brain Research to further their research so it's it's going to be a tool for advocacy and for raising awareness but also for directly helping brain research itself and it's something that sounds sounds very broad and all over the place when I say it but it, it has come together in a really beautiful way so far and it's still a while off being ready but as you can tell I'm very very passionate about it and just 
it's had such an amazing response. You would not believe the number of people who have reached out and said, yes, I wrote, I've written poems about my experiences and I've never done anything with them. Would you like them? And I said, absolutely. Other people have said, I've never written a poem in my life and I heard about your project and I decided to try it. And it was, some say it was really hard for them, but they did it. And what they produced is, is beautiful. It's stunning. And I've got all these this this breadth of people. They people sending me poems they wrote decades ago. People sending me a poem they just wrote, and they're saying, and I'm the first one that gets to read it. And all of these stories, and I get to be the the guardian of these stories, and I'm bringing them together. It is it is crazy, and everyone's so supportive and thinks it's such a fantastic idea that it just it's very it's very reassuring for me because I I wasn't sure if it was a little too crazy, but no, it's 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 doing great. That is really exciting and really incredible. I think it's really lovely actually to hear like how social it's been for you because I think any artist, but particularly certain art forms, can be quite solitary. It's a personal expression and often they don't necessarily need a lot of input. Like obviously there is social community settings within art making, but a lot of people find that there is like a a large kind of solitary flavour to their creative expression. But that project sounds like you suddenly have built this network of people that are, you know, you're obviously receiving a lot of connection and excitement from it, but people, like you said, are sharing their poems that someone might never have read before except for themselves or their wife, Mm -hmm. their daughter or whoever it is. I think that's just a massive achievement and a really exciting one to be able to see the way that it can give people personal expression over something that is really life-altering, like incredibly altering and, you know, incredibly complicated emotional and physical experience of having a brain condition. But but you're weaving in just all this social connection and I love hearing about the layers of it and then being able to maybe help other people get insight that have none. Like I imagine you can advocate and you can talk about what happens when people develop medical conditions and how they might feel but like actually sharing some of those people's poetry and their creative expression just translates that experience in a completely different way offers people an insight in a way that they wouldn't have if someone's just sitting there in a lecture saying you know this many people will also experience depression or this many people will also people report improved quality of life if they do this this and it's like you know whatever it is that people are talking about in the sense of impact and well-being and suffering that comes with conditions art making has adds the humanness to it like the story of it in all the ways that we can't otherwise articulate and communicate to to the public or to people I'm really excited to read that you must tell me as soon as it I comes. will I will interesting sometimes when you put the invitation out there just at the response that can come back because so many of us have the interesting ideas or ways to connect people through art making but you just think oh because anyone gonna am I just gonna put it out there and two people are gonna send their poems in and I'm gonna have to fill the rest of the book with my own (laughs) but actually like the response can be incredible because sometimes people just need some direction or they need the opportunity or they just need encouragement you know obviously some people sound like they've they've been treasured keeping them in treasured archives for quite a long time but some people sound like they're loving the invitation to have a go and you you just provided that to people which is really lovely that you are now responsible for encouraging all sorts of emerging poets (laughs) I suppose I am yeah it's a big responsibility but it's so exciting I think at the end of the day even if it's their only poem I think I feel so glad I got them to write that poem for their own sake incredibly rewarding just really fascinated by that ability to transform an experience and a feeling into an art form I mean, I think that's one of the fundamental cores of creative expression is how do we transform those experiences? And there's so many different modalities that we do that in, but poetry is using word to do that, which I just, yeah, I just find a really interesting process because most people can access words in like a creative way, but it's not something we get used to doing. Like we're used to using them. I don't know. I guess it's like, do you have a perception of using words creatively? Like, do you feel like there's a really big difference between like we use words all the time, like every day, you know, to communicate, but then when you're using them for art, it's like, I feel like it, yeah, they become loaded in a different way and having to access them in a different way. And I guess that is always like my hesitation between sitting down to write a poem or a song, like which I have no skills in, but is that this concern of like, how do you access it in a creative way? Does that make sense? Like we, we're using like words all the time in a really functional communicative way and not that poetry isn't communicating but it just feels like they're separate realms I guess and there's this concern I think for a lot of people that like they won't have access 
to words in a creative way. They only use words for communication and kind of functionality. Do you see a clear distinction between that and the process of finding words that are creatively and putting them together in a way that's creative versus just having words on an, in an everyday way? It's a, it's a good point. And I think for me, because I've been writing poetry for quite a while a lot of this comes automatically for me but i think what i tell people is that poetry is almost a perspective it's a way of it's a way of seeing things and therefore a way of expressing things and so or, or a way of hearing things as well so quite often what i might notice is something someone else says that the particular word that they used or the particular sentence they said just strikes me and it just sounds has a poetic quality to it. And I think when you're listening out for it, you'll notice it. And the same thing if you're if you're looking out for things around you or experiences or events that are, have a poetic nature to them, you'll find them. And it'll become more uh, more ingrained in the way you see things after a while. And I think that's one way you could potentially find the beauty in words is by finding beauty in other people's words and seeing how other people, often unintentionally, by the way, will say things in just a very just perfect way and someone will just say something and it just rings a bell uh, or someone you know sometimes people accidentally say something that rhymes or they you know they, they start several words with the same letter you know which is if, if it was in a poem we would call it alliteration but you know they're just talking in a sentence but you hear them say that and you go those words actually go well together and that's one way that you can kind of ease ease poetry into normal words or normal words into poetry perhaps yes yeah, so you're like a collector so you can be like a collector you, because it's the entry point into it is I think the sticking point for a lot of people. Like how do you bridge that gap? How do you start using words creatively if you actually just start collecting that inspiration and collecting little tools? Like, you know, like a woodcarver might go through a walk, a walk in a forest and find like little branches, start collecting things and then they take them home and they fashion them into something. Now I'm going to think of poets going around the world like collecting little words. They do. Like, I, I do. Yeah, that's so cool. And I wasn't entirely sure where I was going until I finished what I was saying and I realised it sort of made sense. Yeah, because if you're a collector of words and then you sit down to write, it's like you've got materials with you. It's not just you're sitting at your desk with this emptiness of, okay, well, I've got the whole worldly language. Where do I go? Like, what do I choose? Obviously, you've got your inspiration and a topic and a theme to work from. But yeah, I just like the collector. <laughs> I actually, I love that too, because you've just coined that phrase, a collector of words. You said that, not me. But in you saying that, now I'm getting this image of, of what I want to put in a poem, basically. So I'm, I'm, with your permission, I would love to put the phrase collector of words in a poem, probably as the title. And and I, I can see it happening already, an imagery of a person walking along a beach, picking picking up ideas and putting them in a little basket and writing, like basically what you just said, but I want to put it in a poem. And see, it's just happened. It's just someone will say something. You said three words, a collector of words. And it's, it's given me an idea already. So I've just collected that and put it in my little poem back. So that's what happens for me. And I think all of those words are normal words and anyone could have said any of those words, but maybe the context we've been talking about it in or the fact that I'm thinking about poetry already, I've already snapped it up as, as a source of inspiration. So there's a real life, real time example for you. Oh, lovely. I really look forward to hearing how that goes. I think because it's like anyone that's creatively expressive, like you said, it's a mixture of multiple things, isn't it? The process of making, but then also like what it is that inspires you in the context, because you might get 10 people looking at a sunset, but only four of those people are going to be inspired enough to use it as a theme in their painting or their music or their poetry or whatever it is. So it is like this kind of meeting point, this clashing point between our environments and ourselves. I just find creativity really interesting and so really hard to articulate sometimes. Yes. You get the idea there, but you're like, how do I articulate it? And it's just really interesting like chatting to people that are creative because you get to hear how they process and how they you're quite visual, obviously, as part of your process is like you picture the imagery it's at least sometimes at least on this occasion like you have the imagery and then you're working it into words amazing for me to think like oh yes of course like we don't all kind of process and have an, the same internal landscape but I'm a very visual person and I always start with a, a visual vision but some people don't really think visually so it's really fascinating it is it's really fascinating the, the, once you start talking to different people you just you learn a lot just from talking to people about their creative processes, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing yours today. Well, actually, I was going to ask you a little bit 
more about like I'm sure you don't have time for it right at the moment but it looks like you've done a lot of education around poetry like you mentioned that you went to schools and I also saw that you did a, a TED talk is that what it's called yes TEDx talk yeah I would be really happy to talk more about those uh the school visits is probably the the one that I love talking about I again this is something I did as a medical student which I hope to uh, pick up again this year but I started doing visits to primary schools mostly to let me backtrack so to make that make sense I would have to explain a, a book that I produced while I was a medical student which was a book of medically themed poetry so I once again a little bit like with the poetical love project I wanted to find a way to combine medicine and poetry and I thought what if I wrote short poems about the parts of the body in a way that young children could understand and have it create it really with the intent of it being an educational resource because uh, again tying into something you said earlier about doctors being a little bit mystical and what they do being a bit of a mystery I thought I don't want what I do to be a mystery and I think the more that people know about their bodies and the more they know about health the better it is for everybody so and again what better place to start than, than when you're young and to to understand how your body works so that you know why it's so important to take care of it so I, I created the book I self-published it and then I and and I got it illustrated by my sister and then I started to share it at primary schools and what I would do is I would visit a school I would talk a little bit about myself and I would explain that that duality of of I'm studying to be a doctor but I'm also a, a poet which would perplex a lot of uh, students actually because they have an idea and I did as well when I was younger that you've got to pick one thing to be when you grow up and something that I always make sure I say to them is uh, if you take one thing away from my visit today let it be that you can be as many things as you want when you grow up and if you're good at many things that is so fantastic do all of them uh, you know and I just want to plant that seed for those students because obviously I get a lot of joy from doing these very different unrelated things in my life and I don't want them to ever feel like they have to give up one thing that they love to pursue some other thing that they love uh, anyway so I talk about that I tell them about myself I read poems out for them and let them ask me questions about you know how does the heart work and so on and so on which is very fun uh, and they ask me what it's like standing to be a doctor and they go you know what's what's a surgery like, you know, and, and things like that. It's really, I get such funny questions. It's it's <laughs> really lovely. Um, and then probably the, the best part of it all is then we do a poetry writing activity and I let them all write uh, a sentence each, just one sentence. And they put them on, they write them on little strips of colored paper and then we stick them onto a big piece of paper. And the, the point of that exercise is to show them that uh, poetry is really just one, well-written sentence and then another well-written sentence and another well-written sentence we can all write a sentence can't we so it's a way of kind of breaking down poetry and getting rid of the idea of having to think of structure and rhyme because they're only writing one sentence they don't have to think about things like rhyme and and it's just everyone is able to participate even those who say that they're not able to you know they're not good at poetry in quotation marks so it's an activity that i sort of developed through the school visits and it's one that is always a hit with the students and they have a lot of fun doing it again just like everything I do I have sort of multiple layers or multiple agendas to what I what I do like with all my projects so with this one there's um there's the aim of you know introducing children to the idea of having multiple careers or multiple um, things you're passionate about there's teaching them about the body and through through those poems and you know inspiring them to be healthy we talk a little bit about how to stay healthy and then introducing them to writing poetry themselves because there would be no point in me coming into a school and talking about my poetry and walking out again and them going oh that was cool but she's so much older than us and she's a you know she's a grown-up and she's made a book and we're not like that and then what have i achieved um so again multiple motives multiple layers to it and it's so much fun as well. I get, I, I'm always so happy when I come out of those school visits because students are usually really open to just trying, trying those new activities and have so many fun questions and they just come up with such fun sentences for these poems. It is so much fun reading the poems at the end. So yeah, I, I do, I do really love teaching and sharing with, with students and hopefully I'll, I'll have some time soon to do a little bit more of that again. Yeah. It sounds like you really enjoy it and I feel like we need to clone you 
thousand times over and send you to every school because I think you have such important messages to share, like not just about reinvigorating poetry for younger generations, but also, like you said, those messages around not having to be rigid and just choose one thing because I think it causes a lot of struggle, the, the messaging around you need to develop a clear path, you know, you, you should there should be one thing and stick with it and some people still have hierarchies around what is a good job or what is a, a good profession to choose and I think, you know, even if people make those decisions based on whatever reasons they have or however they're influenced but just learning that whatever profession you choose you can have really rich projects and you know passions and creativity outside of that as well or alongside of it I should say and yeah kids are like so full of all sorts of surprising humor and like in, yeah. like you know they can be so insightful and then other times they can be like ludicrously funny with yeah. what they come out with yeah same with same with getting them to write poems it it surprises me what they what they put into their poems um I do encourage them to write their own poems in their own time afterwards after we've done the the one sentence per person activity obviously that activity evolved also because of time limits I can't be you know with a class for hours on end because um you know attention spans and lunch times and things like that uh, but I encourage them to write their own poems in their own time and their teachers send them to me and that's when you really get to see children's personalities shine through and the, the way they express themselves, the way they describe things, it's just so varied and so unique. And it's one of the, my favorite things is to be able to just come back and read read, children, read children's poems, read other people's poems and feel, again, feel that, that luckiness of being able to read them. Just encouraging that self-expression, encouraging that uniqueness is a really special task to be able to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I just like being reminded, like, you know, that our vocabulary has like a limit of words. Like there's only so many words that exist in the dictionary but the combat like it's just endlessly there's just endless combinations of like how to put that together and how to put it together in a meaningful way and it just blows my mind that's just creativity generally isn't it like a lot of creative modalities have a limit of some kind with their materials but I think especially so for language because we know that there's like a limit of words that are existing in any single language but then you can just piece them together and put them together in a way that is like so powerful but so completely individual like you said you've got a classroom full of kids but each one is going to have a different poem about different things and express it in a different way even if you, I'm sure even if you gave them like a very specific topic to make a poem about a lemon or something they're all going to ha- come up with something incredibly unique which is yeah really cool yeah it is okay well I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to wind us up today because I always forget right at the end I'm going to ask you now where the best place to find you is I do recommend people do check out your TED talk which is online I want to it's a really weird um warning but I should feel like people should educate the TED company whatever it's called should educate people that they silence laughter or they don't translate laughter because I didn't realize and I was like watching your talk and I think it was probably one of the first talks I think I've only listened to Brené Brown and that's like the only other TED talk I've listened to um wow I I feel I feel very privileged now (laughs) it's I always see like oh that person's done a TED talk must listen to it and then it's just like too many platforms but yours was really cool but what I didn't realize was that they the way that the sound is recorded is that they don't capture the audience laughing so like you were being really personable what like what you were saying was would have evoked a reaction from the audience but there was just silence and I was like what is wrong with people why (laughs) like I was like didn't understand for a while and, and then I don't know how I found out I must have been talking to someone else and someone has said oh no depending on like the recording, it's the way that it's, the audio is recorded, that they don't record the audience. And I'm like, what a pity, because I don't know if they do that across like every venue, but I think it is quite common because apparently Australian ones are the same. You miss that relationship between the audience and the person. I was infuriated because I was like, you're saying really cool stuff. There should be a little bit of laughter or a little bit of like reaction. So anyway, I feel like that's a disclaimer if no one's watched a TED talk. <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice that when I was having listened to the recording actually, but I, I can picture which point you're talking about because of course the TED talk highly focused on my takeaway points from those school visits I had been doing during my during that year. And so I I did go into some of those funny things that students would say about poetry, for instance. And so I know exactly what you mean. Um, oh, it's a pity there's, there's no laughter there. But the TED talk was a really, 
really cool experience. It was very different to the other ways that I share poetry or share about poetry usually. So I feel very lucky to have been able to do that and, and to do it while still being a medical student. Um, to best of my knowledge, I don't know if any other medical students in, in New Zealand have done TED Talks before, uh, certainly no poetry ones. So that was that was really special and I'm really, really pleased with how that went. But to answer your question about where to find my work, the main two places are uh, on Instagram. I have an Instagram poetry page. The handle is at Loredana underscore poetry. And the other place is on my website, which is loredanapoetry.com. And that has, part of it is a blog where I have been trying to write a blog of things about being a poet, how to write poetry of this or that type. Uh, and also that's got some of my poems on there and it's got information about my books of which I have two so far. Uh, so those, those are probably the, the main places to find my work at this point, I would say. Brilliant. I will link all of those things in the show description so people can just directly click to find you and read all your beautiful things and keep updated, particularly on the poetical lobe that I'm going to encourage everyone to purchase as soon as it's for sale in the coming years. I don't know. These things take a long time, so I'm not going to put any pressure on you. <laughs> but sometime in the next couple of years, I'm sure it will be out in existence in the world. So the first question I like to finish up with is your favourite poetry memory. I have so many favourite poetry memories. It's really hard to pick one. So I'm going to try and come back to, because we've been talking about the children's poetry for a while. I'll, I'll come back to adult poetry. I'll come back to medical poetry that we were talking about and about a time that I gave a patient a poem that I had written about them. Because for a long time, I would write these poems about experiences in hospital, but I would keep them to myself. And they were very much, like I said, a, a way of self-reflection. And uh, of course, if I ever shared them, they would be, you know, I'd ensure there was nothing in the poem that people could link to a specific person. They were quite, they were quite generalized. But I finally worked up the courage to give a patient a poem I'd written about them. And that was a nerve-wracking experience because I was coming up to them saying, hey, I'm the med student, you, you've interacted with me. Uh, I've written a poem about you because I find you really inspiring. I find what you're going through and your attitude, you know, everything really inspirational. And I wanted to share that with you. And this person was so, so touched and I think asked me to read the poem out loud in the ward uh, with lots of other people around, which I did, and was just really so touched that someone had written a poem about them. And that was really special. That was so heartwarming. And I was just, I had been so nervous about the, the reaction I would get. And I actually crossed paths with that person a little while later, which is unusual when you're a medical student. You don't often get to see the same patients very, very often because you move around a lot as a student in different departments and so on. And I saw that person a little while later and the first thing they said to me was, I still have your poem because I'd written it out on a piece of paper for them to have a copy. And they said, I've, I've shown it to so many of my family members and it's so meaningful and so special to us. And that was just, I never imagined that my poetry could do that because I, poetry was always something I wrote for myself and for my benefit and to think that it had made such a difference to someone else and that they kept it and treasured it just inspired me even more and that person was already such an inspiring person so I was I then started to do that more and share my poetry more with the people that I'd written it about or for and yeah it's a pretty special memory oh that's so special and I think I'm really glad that you're courageous enough to share it because like you said you are so thoroughly de-identified in your poetry work you know so if you know if I when I read a poem I would not know struggle a lot of the time to you know place gender and age and location and all of those things because like obviously part of the artistic process but also protecting people's identity so for those people that it was inspired by them and and written for them in some cases if you didn't feel courageous enough to reach out even if they came across it they would probably be able to connect with it and have a really strong receptivity to it because they would see themselves in it because it's about them, but they would not necessarily know that. A barrier to poetry and craft. I'm curious, actually, if you have any, because um, you present yourself as a very experienced and passionate poet. So sometimes when I'm chatting with guests, this question will sort of always already answers itself along the way because there's something that that artist is sort of continuing to wrestle with. Do you have any barriers that come to mind and like would you have a tip to someone else I guess if they were asking like how you overcome step over it a bit 
absolutely. Uh, I would frame it in two halves. It would be sort of marketing and imposter syndrome and they sort of go hand in hand because something that I find particularly challenging is promoting my work or promoting my my poetry or my books or just telling people about my social media page for my poetry or anything like that I struggle with and it comes hand in hand with feeling like I haven't done enough and I think a lot of young poets or long, young artists feel the same way of oh I haven't won any big awards I haven't done I haven't published with any big companies or for if you're a visual artist maybe it would be I haven't had any ex exhibitions in any big galleries and so you feel uh, nervous you, you feel like no one's going to take you seriously because of because of those and so therefore you just hold back and don't share at all and so for me it's been sort of giving myself the courage to promote or to put my work out there and to submit to places even though I try to go to events and things even though I feel less uh, qualified if I could say than than some of the other people there and so there's there's that that sort of just promotion but then marketing itself on a grander scheme of you know the actual marketing of a, of a product is something that I don't often leave enough time for or enough uh, mental space for for my project so uh, again there's a bit of that imposter syndrome coming into that but also just I think a time element is something I, I struggle with and it would be interesting to know of other say self-published poets or self-published authors how they they navigate that but i think if i had to um frame some advice around those things i think all of us have everyone who we see and look at as being really accomplished and having won lots of awards for their craft they all were at a point once where they hadn't won any awards for their work hadn't won any major competitions or been published in major journals and obviously what did they do they entered things they produced a lot but then they entered what they produced into competitions and, and journals and so I guess that's something I've been trying to take on board for myself is reminding myself to just submit and share what I've written and I think that's something that we can all maybe try to do more of and that's hopefully the best way to get to build ourselves that brand and build that name for ourselves so then we feel whether whether rightfully so or not we, we feel more um confident in sharing our work because we feel that we have something something to show for although we should always feel that we have something to show for ourselves it's it's a mind frame thing isn't it yeah absolutely and i have met people that have had success with you know competitions or you know more so in the gallery space or wherever and then that they sometimes say what happens after that is that your brain is just constantly looking for like the loopholes of and the requirements of self-protection so it, it's kind of like constantly telling you like oh you know you haven't got the professional standing you haven't got the name like you said you haven't got the awards but then if you do get an award it's like well are you going to live up to it everyone's going to think that you didn't deserve it because it you you know you only did it once now you've got to back it up with musicians often say that they have a best-selling album and then the album afterwards is really hard to create because it, all of a sudden there's this pressure and they feel this like can I live up to it what if I just fluked it maybe I didn't deserve, you know so depending on the person obviously and how much they struggle with self-talk sometimes people's brains can not even be soothed by that milestone it just shifts the goalpost it's so true yeah. And the marketing, oh gosh, the marketing is so hard. And I'm really trying to work on that myself because I feel like I say things once and I'm done. Let's finish up on a creative wish or dream you have at the moment. I've got quite a few creative dreams. I've got a lot of projects that we didn't get to talking about today because I, I went on a tangent talking so much about the Political Lobe project, but it's not my only project, I guess. And uh, I have a lot of creative dreams for various creative pieces of medical writing basically an uh, anthology of, of my own I, I want to, one of which is to uh, produce an anthology of the poetry that i wrote in medical school and to show that almost that evolution that we were talking about but show it through those poems and that's one of my my dreams is to to produce that hopefully this year i i have too many projects for one year don't i and i've got more children's books that i want to write as well so those are some sort of creative which is for this year but i guess the overarching creative dream is to find a way to have a, a, a nicely sitting balance between poetry and working as a doctor that I can sustain throughout my career because I know that I want to keep both of them and I, I want to have a good overlap in that Venn diagram but still have time for each outside of the other and so that's something that I'm hoping to work towards and I think only time will be able to show me whether I'm succeeding at that but just just being able to not let go of any of the things that I want and then live up to what I've been telling all these students, which is um, not to give up any of the things that they love for the sake of something else. 
So that's that's the wish. I will keep everything crossed then <laughs> that comes to fruition. And you've definitely got the passion and the drive. So, yeah, I really hope to see your poetry continue to be in the world, but also your skills as a doctor. So, yeah, I um, wish you all the best <laughs> with that balance. And I think it can be done. I think people like sometimes can get a bit cynical, maybe out of fear or disappointment that they've struggled themselves. But I absolutely believe that you can successfully do both of the, your those things, like you know, two things. It just takes quite a lot of self-reflection and mindfulness and awareness, of which I think you already have. So Working on it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a, a lifelong thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I look forward to seeing what's ahead for you. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Liana. Yeah, it's been really fun. I always love talking about poetry, as you can tell. I'm, it's just an obsession almost. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for all the really great questions and great conversation. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Art Muse podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, then please like, share or follow on whichever listening app you use. If you want to keep up to date on social media, the best place to find us is on Instagram at artmuse underscore podcast. Mm-hmm.